Hey, we'll be in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 this evening. So as you turn your way there, maybe I'll just set the scene or maybe, I guess, better put, maybe reset the scene on what's going on here in 2 Timothy to set the scene for chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, like he has been all the way through chap, uh, 1 Timothy and all the way through 2 Timothy, he's sitting in Rome uh, in prison awaiting trial. And he's penning back a letter to his protege, Timothy, that he has set up at a church he founded years earlier at Ephesus to help him with this wiry church he's trying to wrangle up. And we come to a part of that penning now in chapter one of 2 Timothy. Last week, you might have picked it up where Paul has a little bit of desperation in his voice. He says to Timothy, all of Asia has turned against me. They've turned against my ways and my teaching. Even two very prominent leaders of the church. If you caught that, right? Chapter 1, verse 15. He says, because of this, Timothy, I want you to guard the truth. Guard this good deposit I entrusted in you. All my teachings, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Grace revelation, what I've been teaching you, Timothy, what I've poured into you, what God has poured into me to pour into you, guard it. And I think really, in my opinion, chapter two picks up on that and is really how we are to guard the good deposit that is in us. And he's writing to Timothy as a pastor, but he's writing to us here today too. He just is. Paul wants all of us to protect what God has put into our hearts, the authentic Christian life. As he says in his first letter, chapter three, he says, this place, authentic Christianity, what we have here, if you haven't noticed in the world today, it's the last pillar of truth. It just is. In those times and in these times, it's the pillar and the buttress of truth. It's the last one standing. Guard it, Timothy. Guard it, Edgewater. And that's where we pick it up in chapter two. We're just going to talk about some ways that we can promote, protect, right? This place, authentic Christianity. Amen? So we pick it up right away in, in uh, verse one of chapter two. Preserving, protecting, and promoting this good deposit that God has entrusted in us. Words to Timothy, but words to us. Verse one, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will in turn be able to teach others. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first shares of the crop. In those first six verses, I think we really see three ways to guard our truth, to promote and protect this place in authentic Christianity. The first one we see in verse one, it's awesome. <laughs> it 
It says, be strengthened by the grace in Jesus Christ. So listen, you, the last time, no one's flying anymore, but you know when those uh, uh, flight attendants come and they do the exits here, exits here, oxygen here, and it always taken me aback a bit. The first time I flew and I saw, if you're with a child, take the mask, put it on yourself first. The first time I flew after a kid, I'm like, no way, I'm giving it to my kid first. But they know a very wise thing is that weak people can't help weak people. Get some oxygen in you so you can help people first. And I think that's the idea here. Here's what I know about spiritually weak people is they can barely take care of themselves, right? When I am weak spiritually, when I'm doing my own thing, I can barely take care of my own life. Number one, <laughs> you got to strengthen yourself in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that does not mean that you are to muster up all the strength you can get and tease out some of your natural gifts and your personality and buck up and pull those bootstraps high. Did you see the source of strength? It's the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, those are more than words. That should be our anthem. Amen? You want to be strengthened. You want to be... Listen, when your life is not going well, and life isn't going well for a lot of people right now, you want to let the Lord Jesus Christ lift you up and strengthen you up and start so you can take another breath and another walk. Let me tell you, start meditating on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing better. Grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. It's that perfectly pure, unmerited favor, a gift that you got that we did not deserve, amen? I think Paul puts it best in his second letter to the Corinthian believers. He said, he said that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen? Think about that. For just a moment, you want to buck up, buckaroo? <laughs> Think on those things. You feel weak today? Think about those a bit. That will turn you around. You'll start bringing life into yourself when you start thinking about God's grace. Amen? First, you want to do anything to protect anybody or anything, you better yourself be strong. And that, you got to go to the well of grace and grace is, just to remind you, it's a peculiar thing in a way. It's not available to strong people. Did you know that? So if you think you're strong and you can do it with your own personality, God resists you. You're not getting grace. And you will not be strong. It's even worse because you think you're strong, and you're, but you're really not. <laughs> right? The apostle Peter tells us that, right? God resists the proud, the independent, the strong in our own ways, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord. So listen, the source is grace. He doesn't give it to the strong. He's saying, listen, the Christian saying should always be, I can't do that. Yes, I know, but he can through me, right? He can do supernatural things. So number one, we got to go to the well. I like that way to preserve and protect us. First, grab that oxygen, grab grace, get strengthened by it, breathe it in. 
Immerse yourself in that. Wake up and meditate on God's grace. It's beautiful. That one that was rich became poor so that we might be rich. Amen? Ah, it's beautiful. Think about that. The second thing you see in verse 2, he says, And what I have heard from me, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Pass it on. You want this thing to move forward and, and, and you, you want to protect this last bit of truth we have in this crazy world? Pass it on. It's what we're doing up here, but listen, this is halftime. Real life takes place out there in your life. Parents, pass it along. Pass God's truths on to your kids and they will pass it to their kids, amen? Pass it on to your co-workers. Pass it on to your boss. Pass it on to your employees. Pass it on to your friends. Pass it on to strangers. We underestimate the strength of grassroots. Politicians have figured this out. They go door to door and they talk. The LDS has figured this out. They go door to door because grassroots are important. Pass it on. He says, Timothy, <laughs> What I entrusted in you, pass it to someone faithful who will do something with it. And I think that's a, a, a very good way to protect what's been in, in, in given to us is pass it on. Verse two, verse three through six, check this out. I like this part. It says, share in suffering. Ah, As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is not to please that his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have first shares of the crop. <laughs> Listen, he uses three comparisons there. But in the end of the day, he's trying to encourage us uh, to guard the truth by committing ourselves wholly to obedience to the tenets of this truth. He wants us to be all in, would be another way to put it. It's to resolutely follow our Lord, to set other things aside and say, that's the way I'm going and I will not be distracted. I'm gonna go this way. In the first comparison he gives, like a soldier who suffers. He says, take your share of suffering. <laughs> No, we don't like to hear that, right? We say, be like a soldier in this one way, that take your portion of suffering. You know, it's amazing to me if you talk to people who work around here, they bear one another's burdens. In this place, they listen and relive garbage that we do in our lives to try to get them unstuck. I had a good friend of mine and his wife came over and helped me move a while ago. And, and it, was, it, was, it was an awesome time. And one of the things we did was we got to catch up a little bit as we're moving. And it's good for me because I got my work done. But we asked each other how our days were going. And I complained a little bit about mine. And, and he said, yeah, I've been meeting with some, he works here. And he's like, I, I, I've been, I met with some people. And I couldn't believe, he didn't share names, but just what he was dealing with, with people. Just 
the wrecks that we cause in our lives, amen? He, it was obvious to me that he was suffering, literally reliving these things, trying to get people removed from this evil stuff and this addiction and moving forward. I'm like, that's what we're to do here as Christians, not only pastors, but Christians, amen? Is to, we're to take our portion. You can't take it all. You don't get in contact with everybody, but not only pastors, but us, we should listen and bear each other's burden and take our share of it and help, right? This isn't a country club, religion here. It involves suffering, right? This isn't retirement, golfing all day long. We have to actually suffer a little bit and we need to take our portion like a good soldier. So soldier up, get involved in people's life and it's gonna get messy and you're gonna share in suffering, amen? Like a soldier. The other thing, if you notice, the soldier, uh, he's dedicated. The soldier is, what we learn from him, if you want to be all in to guard this place, is a soldier's a good person to look at. Not only do they suffer, war's not a picnic, especially those that actually face combat. It's not a picnic. They didn't, those people, most of them didn't sign to see the world, right? Like they try to sell it on you. When war breaks out, some bad things happen. And I have never served, but I've talked to people that have been in that stuff and it should be avoided at all costs because inside and outside of people get ruined in that stuff, right? It's dirty work. They get down and get dirty, amen? They see loss, blood, sweat, tears, some ugly stuff that frankly, they don't come back normal from. They suffer. But the other thing they do is they're super dedicated. It says that they don't entangle themselves in civilian pursuits. There's a chain of command. They want to please the one that enlisted them. The one up the line, they got to make sure that person's happy. They are dedicated. And we need to think about that analogy. We are to be all about serving and pleasing our Lord. That's what we should, out of a motive of love, not duty. We should be involved in his people, his body. A soldier's a good person to look at for suffering, yes, and also for just that dedication, right? They don't entangle themselves in civilian pursuits. I like that. Sometimes I entangle myself too much. I should be more like a pilgrim, trying to please God and his, and his people, Right? Be a God pleaser, but love and care for his people as well. The other analogy he gives is it's an athlete. He's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You know what I know about athletes? Because I'm an old broken down one now. Athletes have discipline. Good ones do anyways. They learn to say no. You know what I remember about my wrestling career (laughs) now that it's all over? the aches and pains, but you know what I really remember now is how many times I had to say no. I didn't get to do, yeah, our senior grad party. No, I was training. Yep. The fraternity parties everybody went to. Nope. I was training because I wanted to win (laughs) short-term sacrifice, long-term gain, right? Athletes learn to say no. They see the goal and they say, I am going to pass on this so I can get that from the athlete. We learn to be all in. We're disciplined. Man, as Christians, (laughs) 
Sometimes we need to set aside some things in our lives. We need to say no to some things, amen? I know I do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. We need to set aside those things, those weights, and the sin that easily beset us and drag us down, right? Sometimes they're not even bad things. They're just pursuits that we just need to say no to. Instead, have endurance to go forward and be a part of this last pillar of truth. Amen? Like an athlete. The last one, he says, is a diligent farmer. And yes, we are to let God live a life through us, amen, in the Christian life. But I've never seen God use too many lazy Christians spiritually. Did you know that? The most spiritual people, the people that have their life and they're exuding God's love, authentic Christianity, they're working they're diligent. They're diligent like a farmer. They have a rhythm in their life. They're reprogramming their brain by being in scripture, in meditation, in prayer. They're doing the disciplines. They're diligent. The people I look up to most spiritually work hard, and then they let God live a life through them. They reprogram the way they think by getting in this word. Amen? It's diligence. Listen, the farmer wakes up early and he does certain things. He takes care of his crops and his animals. He does the same thing. It has a rhythm to it. That's why I've always liked Aglan. It keeps me out of trouble. It gives me something to do, right? That's the lesson we have to learn from the farmer. We learn that maybe the pay stinks, right? But the benefits are eternal, right? That's the idea. So listen, this next section seems like a lot of work, doesn't it? Suffering, being disciplined, right? Being diligent, being dedicated. Sounds like a lot. It doesn't seem like a lot of fun maybe to you and to me on the surface. But in the next few verses, we'll see an accompanied encouragement that God gives us as we go about our work for his kingdom, protecting, preserving what we have in the authentic Christian life. Check it out in verse seven. It says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. That's the first one. And I'll just call it this. <laughs> it's the encouragement as you go about your business in the Christian life that you may just start living in reality. Listen to what it says. Meditate on these things more, more accurately. Meditate on what I've told you. And the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Meditate on scripture. And not just, the, not just the doctrine, but how the doctrine fits into your life. Amen? It fits somewhere in there. This word here, when you meditate on it and think about it, it fits somewhere in your life. It has the answers to your problems. It has the release valve to your pressures. It has the psychological analysis of your psycho problems. <laughs> you can laugh. We're all psycho a little bit, <laughs> right? It's right here when you meditate on it. You might actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, start seeing things different. You might see yourself differently and others differently. You might start looking at the world the way God looks at it. Wow. 
And guess what? You might start living life in reality and figure out all this other stuff's a facade. Amen? So the first reward you get, the first encouragement you get as you're going about your life is, hey, you might actually see things the way they really are. You might actually start living your life in real time and space the way God sees things. That's the first one. Look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Listen, as you go about and you read this scripture and we're trying to, you got you to gotta remember the risen Lord. And not just the risen Lord, but the huh, human Lord. He's risen, yet very human. Did you notice how he put in offspring of David as preached in my gospel? Remember Jesus risen from the grave. Maybe be a little bit encouraging. Maybe bear with me. Give me a little latitude, but close your eyes for just a moment. <laughs> And take yourself to that hill, Golgotha there, where they put our Lord. He was really dead. He was dead. He wasn't breathing anymore. But if you go to that place, there's a stone that is rolled away because he overwhelmed the grave. He could not hold him. Amen? They could not hold our Lord. He's risen from the grave and he showed himself to many. Amen? That's our Lord. Risen. Without it, we have nothing. He conquered sin, death, and Hades. That's our Lord. Remember it. It'll encourage you just a little bit. But also remember, he's from David. Here's the emphasis. He shared humanity. He was the God-man, fully divine and fully human. He did that for you and I so that we might look at him and say, he understands me. He can sympathize with me, right? Because he shared the human experience and all of its ups and downs, right? If you look at the gospels in his life, he went through it all yet without sin. He did that for you and me. He didn't have to do that. He joined, right? The eternal son of God joined himself with a lowly Nazarene and tarried among this, these people, right? This dusty and barren land. He suffered by our side, shared the frailties of humanity so that we might say, he gets me. That's a real God. This is a blue-collar God that understands you. Amen? So yes, remind yourself that he's risen. He's divine. But he also was human in a real way so that you and I can say, boldly come before him, right? He can sympathize with our needs. That's our Lord. That's an encouragement. Amen? As we're going about all this work, Stop, take a second, and realize the Lord that we're serving, right? The Christianity we're trying to preserve and protect is at the core Jesus Christ, and he's risen from the grave, amen? And he gets you and I. That should charge us up. The next encouragement I see in verse 9, for which I am suffering, the gospel, he's suffering. He's bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound, Listen, I want to tell you something right now. Paul was bound up. He was in prison. He put the clamps on, but he said, the word of God, the gospel, the scriptures will go forward. It is not bound, although I am. It gives me great hope 
in this time where you feel like God's word's being hampered and, and put down, as Isaiah would say, listen, his word does not return void. It will go out and it will echo. Although we may be bound in some ways, and it's not being proclaimed in schools anymore and on every state TV and all over the world, it's going out. It's going out. It's going out. Isaiah also says in chapter 40, I love this. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. So as he's sitting in prison, he's saying, Timothy, I know it looks bad and I know I have a little desperation in my voice, but you keep preaching. You keep preaching in your life, the people around you, and they will hear it and it will encourage them and it will go out and God's will will be done. Amen. That's the encouragement. It's like, remember that saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. It's the opposite of that. That's a lie. Sticks and stones you'll heal from. In my experience, words are more powerful. And the word of God will last forever. He's saying, beat me with sticks and stones. That word's going out. Amen? That's the, that's the mentality, the attitude here. Check out verse 10. It's one of my favorite. It's another encouragement. It says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy for me. If we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithful, faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. If I knew nothing else about the apostle Paul, and I do know a lot about him, I, I've studied his life and his teachings. And if I knew nothing else about him, that verse, it's all I need. I endured all things so that other people could be saved. That's a pastor that I would run through a wall for. And you don't know, maybe you need to know, or just a little quick reminder that Paul went through a few things. Do you know that? He got beat up in about every town he preached in. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me read you just a couple of verses. If you're taking notes, it's 11 starting in about verse 24. Paul, this is him explaining his life with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in cities, dangers in wilderness, danger in sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst and without food, with cold and exposure. And apart from all this, I had to worry about all the daily pressure and anxiety that the church has put on me. <laughs> I love Pastor Paul. I'm sorry. That's epic. He says, I endured all that stuff so that people might come to the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's an encouragement. And it, it says this, some must suffer so that others may succeed. Do you understand that? 
And maybe today we need to wake people up in this world. There's no free lunch. Everything costs something. Even our precious free grace was free to us. It wasn't free to our Lord Jesus Christ. He had to die. He had to suffer as a human so that we might partake in it. Suffering always precedes succession. As one awesome missionary said one time, he says this. <laughs> it's a great quote. I don't want to mess it up. He says, if you succeed without suffering, it's because someone else has suffered in order that you might succeed. If you suffer without succeeding, it's in order that someone behind you might succeed without suffering. Do you see the circle? It always works that way. And that's an encouragement. Paul's motive was for the believers to be saved. Amen? It's beautiful. And it realizes that sometimes when we share, we take our slice of suffering in the Christian life, you can be encouraged. When you're the good soldier, when you're taking it like a soldier in your foxhole, and you're sharing people's lives and bearing their burdens, it's not for naught. <laughs> it's so that someone behind you can have success. You're a trailblazer. If you're coasting through life and you're just doing great things, it's probably because someone did that in front of you. Amen? That's the idea. We enter a new section in verse 14, and it really explores the importance of proper handling of this book of God's scriptures. And I'm so thankful that we have a pastor here and teachers here that take this serious, that there's diligence, that there's work here, that this isn't something that anybody mails in here in my, in my experience. These are people that have the gift of teaching, some of them, me, maybe not, <laughs> but that they take their work seriously. And this section just has a few little warnings and little uh, explores some importances that we need to hone in on on handling God's word. Let's read it, and then we'll go back to it. He's, Paul's saying to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Don't quarrel about words, okay? Which does no good, but ruins the hearers. So listen, don't contend. The word means don't box, don't fight over words. Now, I know words are important, but don't quarrel about them. It seems like, you know, playing with words is a favorite pastime of politicians. Have you noticed this? They like play with words. It's like, that didn't mean that. They play with words. Lawyers can play with words, right? Politicians, lawyers, but maybe even sometimes pastors and teachers can play with words, okay, to make them dance, to fit into our agenda. They also can be used not to play with, but to fight with, right? And what he's saying in this verse is, don't do either. It hurts the hearer. It's like, don't use it to cut someone's ear off. It hurts the ears. It hurts. And quit playing a Quit fighting over it. You're on the same team, <laughs> right? When my kids used to fight, you know, I'm like, hey, find another enemy. You two are on the same team, right? It's out there. Quit fighting Christians among words. I know words are important. 
but quit doing it. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent, irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus. I know I just butchered his name, but he wasn't a good person anyways, it sounds like. <laughs> who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the Lord of the, the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Listen, stop hurling them as weapons, quit fighting over them. But in contrast, he says, make yourself a workman. Did you catch that? That, that is approved, right? Rightly dividing the word of God. Like, like it means like cut a path. Let the words speak for themselves and cut a furrow that you can walk right down the middle of. That's the idea, right? Let them speak for themselves the words and what they mean. It says avoid irrelevant or irreverent, better, <laughs> babble. And this is a great word. If you study that word, it's, it's um, people shooting off their mouth without really learning about what they're talking about. You know, a lot of people like that. <laughs> it's usually steeped in emotion and anecdotal evidence. It's babble. It's not good. It's trash talking. You know trash talk? A lot of athletes trash talk. I had this roommate in college. He was an all-American wrestler. He was awesome. And he had this way, he's like a worm. He, he made people hate him when he wrestled. He just, I don't know what it was about him. He just had this way about him that people, and he'd always get under people's skin and they would always start talking to him in matches. And he was really good and he hardly ever lost. So when they would talk trash to him, he, he would just go like this and point to the scoreboard. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> he's like, put them, in. but one time he did that and I was close enough mat side the guy looked, it was so funny. He started talk, talking trash and he pointed at the scoreboard and the guy looked at the scoreboard and goes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it was awesome. He just called him on his trash. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm better than you. Check it out. <laughs> right? It's kind of what, what this word means. Don't do that when you're teaching or sharing the word of God. I had a very wise teacher tell me once that until you study the other side of that argument, don't tell people how it is. Tell them how it might be, how it could be, right? So don't be a trash talker at all. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you start killing the congregation like gangrene, that blood disease that slowly goes through your body and just starts dismembering and stinking up the place. I guess in God's economy, it's kind of like, like that. It smells bad. <laughs> it spreads quickly to the whole congregation. We all can be infected by it. I'm glad we don't have teachers like that here 
But we have lots of connections when we teach and share God's words and our devotions with people. Be careful. Don't talk trash. Take your time. Be diligent. Be a workman who can be uh, approved. He can get an A-plus on his report card. I did my work. I feel confident about this. Amen? He said, an example of this are these two jokers here, Hymenius and the guy, other guy there. He said, they swerved from the truth. And they were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. Right? That it was just a spiritual state. They took a little bit of truth that Paul was teaching them that, yeah, it's what we signify when we get baptized, right? That we died with Christ and we've been raised again with him. That it's just a spiritual state, right? And that is what happens when we get saved and when we signify that to, the, to our loved ones. And hey, we're, we're on this. We're, we're in this together, right? So, but it dismisses the fact that there will be a real and actual and literal resurrection it dismisses John chapter 5 when Jesus himself said, there's coming a time. Don't marvel at this. When out of his words will come, <laughs> people in the grave will be raised in one of two directions, right? To life or to condemnation. That's going to happen someday. And it, these guys were missing all of that. That's where that kind of stuff leads to. Look at the whole orb of the, of the scripture. So we need to be careful about that. We need to be God's workmen's that are approved in their study. Amen? So the last section here, and it's a good section, and we'll finish up here. The last six verses explores how to be a good vessel of God. Check it out. Verse 22, we'll start here. No, verse 20, sorry. Now in a great house, there are... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anybody cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's awesome. Who here wants to be used by our God? I would assume everybody would want to be used. And I want to tell you something right now. It's a wonderful thing. There's nothing like it in the human experience than to be an honorable vessel being used by the master. I have seen men and women of high achievement tremble in awe of the thought that they actually were used by God Almighty in an honorable way. That's why you have post-NFL guys being pastors. It's why you have brilliant engineers being pastors. It's why you have doctors quitting doctoring so they can pastor. It's because there's nothing quite like being used by the master. There's nothing like it. Amen? And I pray that we would want to be used. It's humbling. And that we'd want to be vessels that he could use that are honorable. Here's what I think when I read verse 20. Is that there are, there are vessels that are honorable and dishonorable. And my personal opinion is that God and all his providence and his sovereignty uses them both to get what he needs out of them. But it's always your choice on what kind of vessel you want to be and how you want to be used. 
God uses it all. In verse 21 states that it's your choice. It's a great part about Christianity. It's such, there's this tension between what he does in his sovereignty and his providence and what we choose to do and how we fit into that. Verse 21 is awesome because it says in verse 21, if, big word, anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set aside, set apart, holy, useful to the master. Be not mistaken. You cannot clean yourself up and present yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He cleans you up, right? Once and for all. But there is a responsibility for us that when we are wallowing in the dishonorable, and let's all be honest, there are times when we are all there, amen? Where we miss the mark, we sin, we fall short. Whether it's unrighteousness or sin, we miss it. It's in that moment that we can make a choice to confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, right? Turn from that all the way the other direction. Agree with God. Confess that what he says about what we are doing is true and we are wrong and we want to turn from that. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, we confess it to him. He is righteous and just to cleanse us, right, of all of our sin and our unrighteousness. He's faithful and just to do that. It's our choice if we want to be honorable vessels. Now listen, that's letting him clean us up. But we have a part to play. It's like when you're out in the yard doing bad stuff with your hands, whether you're fixing your engine and it's all gross or you have your hands in the dirt or you have your hands delivering a calf, whatever you're doing and you come into the house, you're a mess and you are a dishonorable vessel. Amen? And you will not get an honorable meal from your wife unless you do what? Wash your hands. So you go and you use soap and you clean your hands and then you present yourself honorable. Now you can say you cleaned yourself up, but really the soap did the work. That's the idea. Jesus Christ cleans you up. You have a choice to use the soap and turn from your ways and be honorable vessel. And what a wonderful thing it is to be used by the master. It is the most humbling things to partake in. And I'll close with these last few verses. They're kind of I would say just kind of some summary applications. Some he's talked about already in this chapter and the one before, but they're a great recap. Let me just read you these last two verses. They're nice. So, <laughs> Timothy, flee, Edgewater, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant con controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. 
Some great verses, some great advice there. Flee youthful passions. Now we know this at least includes maybe the sex drive and the sexual immorality because young people have more drive than old people. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Talk to some young people, and it doesn't take you long to figure out that they have different drive. Not only they're like, yeah, I think sometimes they're like, I would say, looking for flirting with sexual immorality because it's so new. But also, it's more than that. You talk to them. They have this sense of independence and almost a pride, almost like, um, like ambition that's kind of misplaced and they don't know what to do with it. You listen to him, you're like, really? Oh, my gosh. But they have it, right? He's saying, listen, put those aside. Put those aside. Quit being so immature, Paul would say, with that. Instead, <laughs> trade them in for more mature things. I don't know if you caught them, like righteousness, faith, love, peace, with kindness, with patiently enduring evil, with correcting people that are against you with grace and gentleness. That's maturity, right? The young pastor would say, I'm going to tell you how it is. The mature pastor would say, let me tell you how it could be for you if you look at something just a little differently. Let, let, me, let me share an example. Let me, let me show you a different way of looking at it, right? It's gentleness. Amen? Now, I read this scripture, these last verses, and I could not get out of my head a story I heard at Stacy Morgan's memorial. Some of you guys were there. I'll probably butcher the story, but it, it blew me away. Pastor Mark Goins was telling this story about when he, uh, and by the way, to the Morgan family, just love Stacy. He was a good man, and we'll miss him. But at his memorial, they told a story about, and it was a funny story, but it really impressed me about the maturity of Pastor Mark Goins. It was awesome. He was telling a story about him coaching with Stacy. And I don't know, Stacy played professional baseball, so he's kind of an athlete, right? Kind of knows what he's doing. And he was coaching with, <laughs> Stacy was coaching with his brother Rowdy and, and Pastor Goins. Youth, I think it was youth football, I think. And every time Rowdy and Mark would try to teach you know, Stacy would go in there and go, yeah, you can't do it that way. You got to do it this way. Just cutting their legs off, right? Just being a, it's like, okay, I can't do anything right. Every time he would try to help, he's like, no, you're doing it wrong. Let me get in here and do this. And, and Stacy was very, very headstrong, very opinionated about how a quarterback's supposed to throw the ball and all this stuff. And, um, and Rowdy was sick. Rowdy was like throwing up. He's like, you need to buck up. And just, he was just, Stacy was being Stacy. If you knew him, it was awesome. <laughs> And Pastor Mark turned to Rowdy after he just got dejected. Instead of telling Stacy, hey, have some perspective, you know, he came back and told Rowdy something like, now I know why we're here, 
because Stacy needs a pastor and a counselor. <laughs> That's what they both did for a living. That's why they were there. They weren't there to, to coach football. What a perspective. See, that's a different way of looking at things. If I was there and that was my brother, I'd say, listen, why am I even here? You jerk, <laughs> right? But the maturity, he's good for Grant's Pass, Pastor Mark. If that's all I knew about him, that'd be enough. That's a mature man who saw the way God sees the situation. That guy needs me. He needs me to pastor him. And Rowdy, don't worry. You're here not to coach. You're here to help your brother out. <laughs> I love it. Amen. That's the idea. So listen, we have God's word before us today. I challenge you to go back and read it and see what God shows you. But I hope you're encouraged by God's word. It's always a blessing. Be diligent, right? I want to remind you, if you haven't been watching the news or listening to the radio or checking the news online, this is, this is the church, Jesus Christ's church. This is the last pillar and buttress of truth. This is it, people. This is all, this is all there is. And, and you can say doom and gloom and whatever you want to me, but I am convinced of that today that we need to preserve and protect and promote what we have here because it's beautiful. I'm not just talking Edgewater. I'm talking Christianity in the authentic Christian life. Amen. Amen. So, Father, be with us in all that we do. I pray that uh, you would be glorified in our lives as you are in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Have a great evening.